0: What's up, it's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. Go! Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.
1: Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN
0: 1000,
2: Chicago's home for sports.
0: What's up? Welcome in to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. I really had a hard time sleeping last night. And the reason was because I kept thinking about that Last Dance documentary that was on ESPN. As we talk about The Last Dance brought to you by Coors Light, I had a hard time sleeping because after watching two hours, watching episodes one and two of that documentary, All of the memories started flooding back to me as a Bulls fan back in the day. And I started thinking about every scene that we saw. And it was just really incredible. There's some things that I did not know. You would think as someone that was around the Bulls, that I would have been able to know everything. There's a few things that was unearthed that we will discuss within the framework of our show. We just saw two episodes. It was still... So much. I mentioned to someone, those two episodes, those two hours, that was a great eight weeks I had last night. Seriously, because you're looking for sports, you're looking for that escape. And for me, sitting in the hood cave last night, watching that documentary, I'm like, wow, that was just two episodes, and you wanted to have more. I'm glad that ESPN is just giving us a little bit, giving us a little taste every Sunday of what we're going to see with this Last Dance documentary. Because usually many would just like to binge watch and go through all 10 episodes in one sitting. But I'm glad because it gives us something to talk about every single week when it comes to what the Bulls were. And the numbers were tremendous. Over a six rating, everyone sitting at home uh, and watching what the Bulls were for that last dance. I'm really, really glad that there was no social media and the talk shows and the opinion shows that are in place to just yell and not really in a fun, entertaining way. I'm so glad that those shows were not around in that era of Bulls basketball. I'm so glad that there were no talk shows, opinion shows, yelling just to yell, going back and forth. Columnists and fans alike knew how special the Bulls championship run was and how it was destined to go away either by attrition or by management. And guess what? Management won in that battle. Attrition would have been the Bulls being able to just keep riding it and riding it out until the wheels fall off. Just keep going until that was the end of the run. We have seen this in the NBA, right, with dynasties. The entire league is built on dynasties. And I know that in the modern era, many of you whine about, oh, how come the Warriors keep winning? Oh, how come the Spurs are just always good? Oh, how come the Miami Heat just keep winning? Well, the reason why is because... The league is built on dynasties. The entire league is built on the Celtics and Lakers and what they have built over the years, generationally with their teams. And the Bulls are right there, smack dab in the middle with their six titles in eight years. So Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf would not allow the attrition to happen. They wanted to be able to have a new face of the Bulls and management one. The social media I remember back in the day was talking to friends and family about the Bulls and the NBA. And sometimes I just miss those days. Going to the barbershop, just having a conversation, you know, face-to-face, not through electronic media, not being able to take shots on social media, but just having a healthy conversation about what we see from game to game with the Chicago Bulls. So I was in my mid-20s when the Bulls won their last championship. I was a producer and on-air... During that time, and I went to a number of regular season and playoff games when I wasn't in studio. And going to the United Center with Michael Jordan and the Bulls, it had the buzz of a big-time fight. If you've ever been to Las Vegas, ever been to Atlantic City, or ever been around a big boxing event, even today, there's always a buzz in the streets, a little buzz, like, oh, there's going to be a big fight field, and people are anticipating something special happening. Well, whether it was regular season, whether it's the playoffs, whether it's preseason, there was always a buzz because you knew Jordan was in the building. The buzz of knowing that you're going to see a big concert or being at the best party that you've ever attended. Think about the best party that you've ever been to, whether there was lights, strobe lights, whether it was just a a great time with family and friends, that one incident that you never thought would ever happen to you, it happened to you. Think about the best party you've ever been to, that was Bulls basketball. Loud, colorful, anticipation, emotion, and usually an afterglow when the game was over more times than not. As we talk about the Bulls with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app, the Bulls championship run was a sense that you as a fan will get the result you wanted. If you were a Bulls fan, 90 times out of 100, you would get the result that you wanted. That's what the Bulls championship run was all about. It's what the Warriors just got through with their run. Like More times than not, when you go to the stadium, when you turn on the TV and you see your favorite team, that team is going to win more times than not. And that's a great feeling because you don't have that bad feeling of, oh, we're going to lose again. Oh, we're struggling again. So the storylines and the talk shows during that time was wondering, man, even after the sixth championship, is there another opportunity? Can they work out something for a seventh or an eighth championship? Is that possible? That was, the, that was the talk. It wasn't, is Jordan better than Magic? Is Jordan better than Kareem? Is Jordan better than Bird? That wasn't the conversation. It would be in 2020. But in the 90s, it was looking at greatness and wondering how long the greatness would last. That was the conversation. Watching Jordan, I never got the sense of watching the championships and wondering with granular detail, huh, is he better than Magic? Is he better than Bird? Like you get with today's sports coverage. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball talent that I've ever seen. Preseason, regular season, playoffs, his time in the league was amazing every single night. He had to be great to surpass other great players that were already and emerging in the league. I've told you the stories on this show many times. That was on the documentary last night. Eric's heard me say this many times on shows that we've done together, about how in 84, 85 it was a big man's game. We're coming out of that era where you had to be, have a big center or some oaf that was 6'11", foot in the middle and just plant them in the lane so you can get 10 points a game. But Jerry Krause and Rod Thorne want to build around a two guard, which is completely unheard of. If you watch the documentary, you saw a, a clean-shaven Mark Eaton talk about how Jordan is too small. Some of these other bigs that were in the league at the time, they saw Jordan and like, ah, you're not going to build around this guy. He's six I'm 7 foot. This is not where the league's going. They believed more in that era, and I remember this as a kid. They believed more in Olajuwon and and Sam Bowie than they did Michael Jordan because Jordan was, quote-unquote, too small. That's the league back then. You had to be able to have a big. Michael Jordan couldn't have won with that traveling cocaine circus or not even come close to a title with the rosters that he was working with. I've talked about this a lot, about how Orlando Woolridge was a really solid player for the Bulls. The kid from Notre Dame, a really solid player. But you have to understand, like, Jordan wasn't going to win with Dave Corzine, who was booed in two places in Chicago, at DePaul and with the Bulls. You weren't going to win with Cardwell Jones. You weren't going to win with Wes Matthews and Juwan Oldham. You weren't gonna win with Edis Watley. You weren't gonna win with Sidney Green on that traveling cocaine circus that they talked about on the documentary. You weren't gonna win, and so that's why the roster had to be turned over because a lot of those guys are used to losing. Jordan talked about that. We talk about it now in 2020, where there's certain teams, doesn't matter the sport, usually when we talk basketball, there's certain teams that are used to losing. That's the Bulls I was watching as a kid. You saw those crowds, nobody at the Chicago stadium, uh, you know, 75% empty watching bad Bulls basketball because Sidney Green, David Greenwood, Rod Higgins, Caldwell Jones, Wes Matthews, Enos Watley. doesn't matter if you ever saw them play. I'm mentioning the rookie year of Jordan and in that era, those guys were used to losing. And so you get that today where there's certain players like, uh, Looks like we're not going to win this one. So on to the next game, on to the next town, on to the next hotel. That's, that was the mentality. You get that today, but it certainly was during that time. And that, that's why Jordan mentioned the documentary. Like, well, screw this. What do you mean onto the next town? The next game we can win tonight. And you saw how Jordan was able to get the job done, putting the team on his back while the other ones just watch. They're like, what we're going to win. No cocaine tonight. <laughs> no, no party tonight. We're just going to win. interesting. well, for sure, cocaine is a hell of a drug, but so is winning at all cost. also a hell of a drug for Michael Jordan. I liked how the documentary talked about the early years of Jordan in his high school and college years. You know some stories we knew, but it had to be revisited because some needed to understand why Jordan was so intense. Why he would yell at Scaparell or Tony Kukoc? Why he wanted to motivate? Because he was told at early age, "Yeah, you're not even good enough to be the varsity in high school. You you can't you can't compete." And how competitive Larry, his brother, was, and the relationship he had with his dad, his coaches challenging Michael Jordan, Jordan being up to the challenge. All those things were very interesting to me regarding who Jordan was at an early age that formed him into where he is right now with a glass of yak and a nice cigar, sitting back, relaxed, telling stories. We haven't heard, heard or seen Jordan that relaxed, telling stories since the 80s, when he first came into the league, when he would talk to reporters for hours about what was going through his mind, what he thought about the Bulls for the future. Jordan has never done that, he hasn't been that way since he was a player early in his career. And so that's why it was very interesting to me because it was totally different. Totally different than what you see. And again, away from the hot take era of just here's a player. How will this player be able to develop? Let's watch. Instead of saying this player shoots too much and Michael Jordan coming out of North Carolina. He's too small. He'll never be able to make it. That guy is going to be a bust for the Bulls. That's what would happen today. But back then, you watch the development of players, and you just want to see the trajectory of that player. And that's why it was so much fun for me to watch year after year. You start to see incrementally how this team got better. From year to year, the Bulls continue to get better. And why? Because Jordan was ahead of that. So I want to talk a little bit about what we saw in the documentary. Um, One thing for sure about... The last run. We got to talk about this because you knew that last year of the championship that it was going to be the last dance. You were hoping as a Bulls fan that it would be another championship, but Scotty Pippen, he mentioned in the documentary The Last Dance, he said Scotty knew that this was the last run. Scotty, in the paper today, it says that uh, Phil wants one more year back here and Michael wants 36 million. And it also quotes Jerry Krause as not ruling out. A trade for you, which leaves you flapping in the breeze. Does that bother you?
2: No. I would love the opportunity of finishing my career out in Chicago, but if it don't happen, then I just have to look elsewhere. I'm one of the best players to ever play the game. I understand what my value is to this game.
0: You're very underpaid, though, as one of the top players. What do you think your value is in terms? My of deal,
2: of- com my day will come. Thank you. Thank you for all the wonderful moments that the fans here in the city have shown me and my teammates for ten long seasons. I've had a wonderful career here, and if I never have the opportunity to say this again, thank you.
0: Scotty Pippen with a tearful thank you. We thought for one unconscionable moment that we might be hearing a retirement statement there.
2: What made me upset was I knew it was the end of the journey, and I never saw it ending like that. Jerry Krause made everything real murky when he said, this is Phil's last year. We're dismantling this team after the season. We're basically relieved of our duties.
0: Interesting thoughts from Scottie Pippen, which leads us into uh, our thoughts coming up next about Reinsdorf and Krause. And Eric, open the phone lines, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. If you watched the Last Dance documentary, your thoughts on part one and part two, I'd love to get your thoughts. What stood out most about the documentary that you saw? Well, and Again, you hear me talking about the Bulls, you hear me talking about the Last Dance. If you watched, we, you and I should be talking about it. So three one two three three two espn is our phone number. History repeats itself with uh, what is going on in the modern day. Reinsdorf and Krauss or Gar and Pax. Same difference. We discuss it next as we talk about The Last Dance brought to you by Coors Light.
2: You're listening to Under the Hood.
0: Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This
2: is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
0: Well, what a hell of a start for a documentary. The first two episodes of The Last Dance as we talk about are brought to you by Coors Light. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. I understand that it's 2020 and we're in the uh, In My Feelings era. I understand that. Like, Oh, my feelings. And, and yesterday while the documentary was going on, uh, if you didn't see me on Twitter, I wasn't on Twitter. I was on Facebook, facebook facebook.com. Um, because that is the Eric, as you well know, that is the social media platform for nostalgia. Um, (laughs) Or you know, you need you need to find out what people thought of uh, the Bulls in the '80s and '90s, that's where you go. Twitter, uh, more modern, kind of uh, some shade there from time to time. But right, Facebook, everyone on Twitter
1: is LeBron's better. On Facebook, it's it's no, I remember that team. So, <laughs> right. Yes, yes, I definitely that a different demo.
0: <laughs> I remember that moment. I remember that game. I remember right. where I was sitting. So I live Facebooked it, if you can use that phrase. Uh, yesterday, watching both hours, you can go to Facebook.com, look for Jonathan Hood, and you can see all my comments all two hours of it on facebook and so um i understand that we're in the you know in my feelings era where you know questions about well was kraus per- portrayed well uh oh he's dead why bury him in the first 20 minutes of the documentary why is there so much talking on jerry kraus jerry kraus the general manager for the bulls was instrumental in putting together parts uh, of the bulls championship teams he made some crucial trades. He revamped the rosters. We talked about it in our previous segment. Uh, it is important to notice what Krauss did in the organization. But his business sense was solid, but his social skills sucked. When you're talking about players and coaches win championships, organizations win championships, you know, when he puts aside players and coaches, how they don't win championships, organizations win championships, I remember that quote the first time it was in the paper like it was yesterday. And I was just like, what do you mean players and coaches don't win championships, organizations win championships? Well, players and coaches all part of the organization. Players and coaches are part of that for sure, but you're undermining what the players have done. So to the common fan that was watching the Bulls, the feeling that you're going to put players in a box in the in the coaching staff, with, led by Phil Jackson, you put them way over here, and you put the organization first, meaning Krauss, Reinsdorf, the uh, scouts, that was a problem for the common Bulls fan. Like, no, everybody should win together. Or if nothing else, put the players and the coaches up first. You get your credit too. But here's the thing, is that Jerry Kraus, he, and I knew Jerry Krauss a lot more after he was done with the Bulls uh, than in the era. He wanted to be noticed so much and he wanted credit for the championships as the architect. He had a little man complex, which was, I think, doc- documented well in what we saw yesterday. I give him full credit for the job that he did, but he did not have to tear the team down because of feelings. And ultimately that's what it came down to his feelings that Jordan and Pippen and Jackson and Rodman and all these other terrific players were getting credit and he didn't get enough credit. And so, yeah, we heard from time to time that Jordan and Pippen were going after Jerry Krause. only because the story was told about Jerry Krause in the documentary. So let's go back and I'm going to make a parallel here to the modern bulls Versus that time. Do you remember in the documentary, Eric, do you remember this part of the documentary where Stan Albeck was the head coach for the bulls? And this is early Jordan. Jordan's coming off that foot injury where he planned it wrong. He talked about that in the documentary. And, and at that time, as a kid, seeing him injured in year two, you're like, Oh jeez, you know, this, can this team get right? Can Jordan get healthy? Right. And he missed a lot of games. And so he went back to Chapel Hill, went to North Carolina to rehab. He didn't rehab in Chicago. He went to North Carolina to rehab, got in the swimming pool. He showed that. The guy was trying to get himself ready because he wanted to be way ahead of what the doctors for the Bulls had for him. Boy, imagine if Derrick Rose would have done that. Nonetheless, you think about the, the whole thing, would Michael Jordan wanted to get back. And so there he is against the Indiana Pacers, and he is on a minutes restriction. Have you heard that before? A minutes restriction, right?
1: Right. Your your stats guys now had to be so happy when they saw that. Like, oh, this is 86, and we got a minute (laughs) restriction. They probably were pumped.
0: So the Bulls take on Indiana, right? And so it's only 14 minutes, if I remember, 14 minutes that Jordan could be on the floor. And Jordan's idea was, well, let me get out there during meaningful minutes of the game, Right. And so Jordan, as we saw the highlights, just lighting it up late in the fourth quarter, just you know getting the Bulls back in the game against the good Pacer team. And then, of course, the 14 minutes are up. He can't be on the floor. And he, and there's Jordan pleading with Albeck, get me back in the game. I'm hot. We're going to win this ball game. And Albeck says, if I put you back in, I'm going to get fired. There's Jerry Krause with the stopwatch up there in the stands in Indianapolis saying, if you put him in a minute more than 14 minutes, you're going to be fired on the spot, which is nonsense, by the way. But that's how it was. And so you, you end up seeing John Paxson hitting the game-winning shot with Jordan sitting on the bench. It's good that the Bulls won that game. You fast forward to uh, the Bulls under Vinny Del Negro, who was a guest on this program last week. The former coach of the Bulls, Vinny Del Negro, is in the same situation with John Paxson as the general manager with the stopwatch, saying with Joe Kim Noah, he had plantar fasciitis. and so But he was so key to the Bulls' success, as you well know. It wasn't just Luol, It just wasn't just Derrick Rose. It was Joe Kim Noah as well. Joe Kim Noah had plantar fasciitis, and he was laboring up and down the floor. He had like a 20 minute or something like that um, time that he could be on the floor. Well, the bulls are winning the game and Joe Kim was a big part of that. And so Vinny kept them out there because they needed Joe Kim out there. Well, after the game, Pax gets pissed at Vinny Del Negro, confronts him in the locker room. And there's the whole pulling the tie incident where Paxson pulls at the tie at Vinny saying, what the hell did you do that for? I told you to do what the organization told you to do and, and not have a joke him out there more than 20 minutes. So here's the thing, Eric, how is it that John Paxson, who was a player during that time with the gambling shot against Indianapolis in, against the Pacers, right? Jordan couldn't play more than 14 minutes, had to sit. Here's Vinny Del Negro. Fast forward all the way to all those years. Vinny is just trying to win the game. And Joe Kim was going to be out there, what, another minute, another two minutes? And then Paxson gets mad, pulls the tie of Vinny Del Negro, and that was the beginning of the end of Vinny's time with the Bulls. You would think that John Paxson would have learned, as a player, how ridiculous that was for Jordan not to play, what, another... How much time was on the clock? 19 seconds? 31 seconds
1: 30, left in the game.
0: 31 seconds left in the game. And, and so... Paxson should have learned, even from then, at the time as a player, how ridiculous that was. Jordan was hot, and Al- Albeck, he sat him. And now, fast forward, John's in that same seat as Kraus and does the same thing. It-, it shows you a relationship
1: between those two stories, does it not? It's it's that Spider-Man meme. It is the same exact situation, and it shows how the loyalty on Paxson changed throughout the years because he has Reinsdorf on his side now, as opposed to being a player where Reinsdorf wasn't on your side. So, like, his loyalty has completely changed from being the players and, and wanting to win to appeasing his owner and the guy that's going to keep him around for a lifetime.
0: It is it is interesting watching that documentary, and here's what I will talk, and I'll get you your phone calls just in a moment, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776. If you watched the last Dance documentary, I want to get your thoughts on what you saw. I, as I mentioned about Jerry Krause, he... Get to my credit for what he was able to do with the Bulls because he was able to implement certain players around Jordan. But Jordan was the ultimate reason why the Bulls got to where they were. And Jordan's trust—and I don't know if this is going to be in the documentary moving forward—but it's more than just saying, "Oh, I got Horace Grant for you." I went to Central Arkansas. I got Scotty. Here's Tony, cook Coach. Here's this player, that player. It, it was up to Jordan to trust in order for the Bulls to be able to win championships. Because otherwise. Jordan is Russell Westbrook. And so it, it, it's one thing to be able to win scoring titles and be the greatest player in the NBA. But what solidifies you as great that really helps it is to win championships. And so what we're seeing here is Jordan trusting Scotty. And even though Scotty came in with a, a chip on his shoulder, and we'll talk about Scotty a lot here on this program, um, it, it was Jordan's trust in players and him motivating players to be able to get to a certain level so they can all enjoy a championship. Something
1: but, that I took from that, that Pacers game, that 31 seconds that he was benched, is, yeah. is like, you know, athletes always talking about how winning is the only thing that, that matters. Like, for for him, it felt as real and genuine as could be. Like, winning was all that freaking mattered to him. And it proved it out when he got sat. He was steaming on the bench. But then Pax hits the shot, and you see he's excited and pumped for his teammates mm-hmm. because they won. How many athletes today or athletes that's just period over time have said winning matters, but if it 's not winning their way it 's not what they want
0: as i mentioned we 'll talk about Scotty later <laughs> we'll get us that in just a little bit uh, well, let 's take a call here, but I just I want you to see the parallel there in gar packs, and again, the difference is Krauss won championships six titles in eight years he 's part of that championship team, he felt like he wasn 't uh, getting the full credit. And, again, little man's complex. He deserves credit just like the players deserve credit, but he never thought he had enough. That's why he wanted to break it up quicker, because he wanted to prove, oh, I, I can do this again. And guess what? He did not. Three one two three three two. ESPN's espn is our phone number. Dave in Tinley Park with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Let's talk about The Last Dance. Hello, Dave. Hey, thanks. Hey, hello. Thanks for taking the call. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. So
1: what did you think last the, night?
0: The doc- so much to the documentary, but the one thing – Looking back, we hear so much about Jerry Reinsdorf's loyalty, whether it be with the Sox or the Bulls, bringing back ambassadors and uh, managers, or Robin Ventura, Dazi Gians, uh, having Scotty back now. But I was really surprised to hear how he's telling Scotty Pippen, no, don't sign this contract. It's not good for you. And then I understand how the whole contract works where everybody's coming back a couple years later. They may sign on the dotted line. They should honor their contract. But to have a player of that magnitude doing what he was doing on the court, and they showed all the stats you know, one in the team in this, second in the team in this, it goes down the line. For him to kinda of dismiss it and disrespect him like that. I thought that was I thought that was crazy. I don't I don't recall that I was young. And that's that, that was one thing that said that kinda of surprised me was uh the kind of disrespect of Scottie Pippen. All right, Dave, I appreciate your phone call leaves line open three one two three three two ESPN is our phone number. Uh, you know <laughs> it's funny that Michael has told people in his circle that he was afraid of how he would come across this documentary. Oh, there's a lot about Scotty Pippen that we'll talk about in this documentary as well. Because, again, if you are, are younger and don't re- remember the day-to-day with Scottie Pippen, we'll get into a lot of this here on the show because I think they only scratched the surface of how Scotty was as a player and a personality in this city. It, it's, uh, it's quite compelling. Uh, Ron and Crystal Lake with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Hello, Ron.
2: Hi, Jonathan. Great show i uh glad I could have a chance to contribute. But the one thing that really jumped out with myself is I'm 57 years old, so I was around for all those championships and all the great times that it brought to the city. But seeing that early footage of Michael
0: Jordan uh, in that Celtics series, just his sheer um, athletic ability, he was faster, he was quicker, he could leap out of the gym. And his skills were better than anybody else, and he made those great
1: Celtic players look old, slow, and uh, unathletic.
0: Yeah, uh, and I appreciate your phone call. Yeah, it, it, it was a different level. It reminded me when Charlotte got good toward the real end of that run with the Celtics where you saw Bird laying on his stomach with the towel on the bench. You know, he's laying on the floor because his back was so bad he couldn't sit in the chair. Parrish uh, McHale, it's just like they had the black shoes and make them look modern, but they were not fast and they couldn't move. And the same thing with the bulls, one of my more iconic moments, Ron is Jordan on the baseline, shuffling the feet and then jump the jumper over bird. It was one of my favorite games, even the loss for the bulls, because you saw growth watching. And I remember that game, like it was yesterday, watching that game and watching Jordan dominate. And again, Look at the roster around him. Jordan had to do a lot of scoring because look at that roster. But that's when Jordan came on the scene against the against the Celtics. Big spot there. Puts up sixty three. That's when Bird had so much respect for Jordan. Nobody was putting up sixty three on a regular basis. Okay, and that it's not like today's NBA where someone can score fifty and it's it's or more and it's something we see a lot of. Jordan 63 was so special and i just remember that baseline jumper that they were showing one and just two even in a uh, losing effort it was one of my favorite games because the bulls really start to turn the corner right there like okay that guy there is going to be able to be a superstar for this team now can he make others better i was even thinking about that as a kid like that that guy was special and bird gave him his full respect Uh, it it was something else All right, more of your phone calls coming up 312-332-ESPN 332-3776 is our phone number your thoughts uh, about the Last Dance documentary if you watched I want to get your thoughts on it and we'll talk about Scott Pippen that's still to come on Under the Hood Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood follow on Twitter at TweetJHood
2: because I was like you know what I'm not going to my summer up.
0: Yeah, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you're with us as we talk to you about the Last Dance documentary. We will talk NFL and Bears draft. Uh, at the top of the hour, at 8 o'clock, we'll get a chance to, because every night, I give you something Bears, something NFL, so we'll give you that coming up at 8 o'clock, and we'll continue to take a lot of your thoughts uh, about the Last Dance documentary with the Chicago Bulls uh, yesterday, because it was thrilling. I mean, I couldn't sleep last night, because I, I kept thinking of those moments, right, all those things that were happened to the Bulls, especially the early days, early days. There are some things that I was not aware of, or footage I have not I had not seen. Not the, but most of those stories I had heard from somewhere or seen. And I'm not some Bulls expert, but when you're around uh, the business and people who wrote or covered the team tell you stories, is interesting. Remember, I was in my mid twenties. Uh, during the last championship years for the bulls and i was in sports radio so as a producer and as an on-air talent i was able to go to some games and be able to be around the locker room and hear stories and and glean a lot of information from the bulls so it was was very interesting um the scotty pippen story is very complex it's very complex because the scotty pippen that people are seeing now the Scotty Pippen. You see him on the jump on ESPN and he is a, um, an analyst for the company. And you know, he's, he's uh, has a strong opinion and he deserves that, that strong opinion. I mean, he's a top 50 player all time. I remember when he first came into the league as a backup to Brad sellers and this Scott Pippen, as he was introduced at the draft comes through and he gets the trade takes place. And Jerry Krause thought that he was a special player and, you know, I, I had no idea what Scottie Pippen would be. I just know that Brad Sellers was never going to be the number two guy with Jordan. I don't think the guy of Ohio State, I think Sellers was like six eleven, seven foot, but he didn't have the athleticism and the defensive ability like Scottie Pippen. And, he, and again, Scottie grew into that. He was not that at the beginning. Uh, he grew into it. And so there's a lot of layers to, to Pippen. I'm, I'll try to narrow it down as as quickly as I can. So i don't get more of your phone calls in here at 312-332-ESPN. So <clears throat> when it comes to the contract, that seems like this is the number one thing that's trending, right? Like how is it that uh, Scottie Pippen signs this deal that is just so paltry, right? So it's, it's one of the worst contracts in NBA history for sure. Five year, $18 million deal. And it's, it's a lot more complex than that. And here's why it's complex. Is because at the time of the contract, Scotty Pippen, and I'm so glad the documentary laid this out. Instead, so you know, people are just running to, oh, how can you sign this deal? Six, seven, eight years, you know, uh, five, six, seven years, eighteen million. How can you sign that? Well, the story was laid out about his home life in Arkansas, where he had not one but two family members that was in a wheelchair that were that could not be able to move around that they had some medical issues. And you can see that Scotty Pippen came from just, I mean, just very lean means with his family um, and going through poverty pretty much uh, in his life. And so for those of you that have never lived through that, it's easy for you to say, well, I mean, he was grossly underpaid. How did he sign that deal? Why, why did he sign that deal? Or making Reinsdorf the, the guy, hey, how come you didn't give him more money? He was worth a lot more than that. Larry Johnson got way more money than that at some point. How, come, how could you give him this deal? How does Scotty sign that deal? It's because maybe you haven't lived the life that he has lived, where he immediately need to be able to have money to give to his family, to help his family situation out. You saw his mother in that documentary. You saw his family members in that documentary. And so it's easy to sit back on your high horse now um, with the check that the government is giving you and saying that, well, you know, I would have never signed that deal. I mean, what kind of deal is that? It sounds like a deal that the White Sox would give a, a, a player from overseas, a player that they from, from Cuba, you know, the five or six year deal worth seven, $8 million. Why? Why would you? Because Pippen first with that deal took care of his family. But if you take a look at all the money that Pippen has made over $109 million, over $109 million and more plus endorsements, plus, plus, plus all the things that he's done. He was taken care of eventually. If it wasn't for the bulls, it was going to be with Houston, Portland, other places that he's been, but he got his money. Yeah, he was bitter that he didn't get the money that he wanted up front with the Chicago Bulls. And there's still an issue between the Bulls and Pippen to this day in 2020 because he's not uh, one of the ambassadors as he was a few years ago. But here's the point is that when you're trying to do for your family, when you are in poverty and you have an issue financially where you have two people that are handicapped in your home, uh, you will do what you can to be able to provide the necessary needs for that family. And so that's exactly what Scotty did. Yeah, Scotty Pippen should have been paid a lot more. But again, we're talking about the era, right? Now, here's the thing: if you are an owner with foresight, like Jerry Reinsdorf, and when he said in the documentary, I've I've seen this written, I've heard the press conference, so I already know before it was even aired, the whole thing of well, if you sign this deal, it's going to be uh, a passe a deal at the, at the time that you sign it like this, this deal is going to be a lot of players playing, uh, you know, getting a lot more money. If you sign this deal now, don't come back for another contract in Chicago's final championship year. Pippen was the sixth highest paid bull and the 122nd highest paid player.
1: That, that is, was a, a wow moment
0: for me. When it, I saw that he
1: was the one hundred and twenty second played player in the league, that was a, a moment that I had no idea he was that low paid. But
0: but, but here and now the money that he made, that's Andre Roberson's. That's what he's making now in the league. Right. That's the equivalent, oh, right? Geez. All right, so so understand this, Eric. The point is, is that as an owner, if you're Jerry Reinsdorf, right? He had the foresight to know that the T V deal was getting bigger. Like, as the, as the league started getting away from the drug-addled years, the empty odiums, the, the empty stadiums, the smoke-filled arenas where the, the games used to be on tape delay and all this stuff, as Jordan got bigger, the league got bigger. Jordan did something that Magic and Bird cannot do, and that's to be able to provide stronger TV deals where the money is fu- funneled in to the owners, right? So if Reinsdorf knew that a couple of years down the line, you can circle back and reward Pippen and say, you know what? I know I gave you this deal. Let's tear this up. Let's renegotiate. I will give you what the second best player in the league is worth. Or if you don't think he's the second best, definitely in the top 10 in, in that particular era, right? That's what good owners do. Reinsdorf didn't do that. So on one hand, oh, how does he sign that deal? How horrible is that? Five years, 18 million. It's It's more complicated than that. Because the cap was ten times lower at that time, uh, in the '90s, than it is now, the salary cap. So you know, on one hand, yeah, should Scotty sign it? He didn't need to take care of his family, and I don't, I don't blame him for that. Especially if you're going through poverty. On the other hand, if you're winning championships and you know that the TV money's coming in and you've got huge revenue, a uh, huge revenue stream coming in because of the championships, then you go back and circle back with Scotty and say, okay, this is how much I could pay you now on a, on a maybe a shorter deal, shorter-term deal, or whatever. That's how you do that. But Reinsdorf didn't do that, right? And so there's been an acrimony ever since between the two. Um, some thoughts now from Scottie Pippen. Now we get to the, the Jerry Krause stuff. And with the the Pippen, as I mentioned, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than just the money. Scottie Pippen, as we saw in the documentary, believed that he was the best player on the Bulls team with Jordan on it. That's something I did not know. <laughs> I did not know that coming in that that Pippen thought that he was uh, that he was the cat's ass. That he thought that he was, the, and I'm thinking you're out of Central Florida, uh, S- Central Arkansas rather, and and so Jordan's already established. And but Pippen thought on that little team that he was on, he's going to come in and be the man because he was the man in Central Arkansas, and and so. I didn't know that. We saw the video of uh, Oakley slapping uh, some sense back into Scottie Pippen, and that was kind of an interesting, funny video um, because Oakley was kind of the big brother in there, and he was the enforcer in the locker room and out out in the clubs and on the floor, all that stuff, right? So, uh, the whole thing with Jerry Krause and Scottie Pippen was just kind of a byproduct of Jordan's problems with uh, Jerry Krause. And, and and by the way, as we circle back, Eric, that whole thing in Indiana, that was the beginning of the end between Jordan and Krauss, because Jordan knew that Krauss was limiting his minutes and wanted to step in that game and win for the uh, that game against the Pacers. That was the beginning of the disconnect between Krauss and Jordan. The same thing here with Pippen, uh and uh Pippen and Krauss, and he just got tired of being lied to from his standpoint. Some thoughts now from Scottie Pippen. Uh, talking about his issues with Kraus. Scotty had problems with Jerry, and um, it came out on several occasions. The thing was, and and, and part of, you know, Scotty's anger was, they they did look into seriously trading him after the 96-97 season. Anybody can be traded, uh, and part of my responsibility uh, is to listen to other teams when they talk to me about our players. And we think Scottie Pippen is certainly, uh, you know, one of the top couple of players in basketball and feel very strongly about him. And uh, I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future because I don't know. Krause's point then was, look, we're going to lose Pippen in a year. The group doesn't have that much left. Let's blow it up now. But ownership said no. But I killed that because I decided that as long as Michael Jordan was still going to be here, we got to go for the sixth championship. Jerry, how close did you come to dealing with Scottie Pippen? Well, uh, we had a, a number of offers uh, uh, we thought were good offers uh, uh, for Scotty and for some of our other players. I'm never going to stop being aggressive and I will never stop trying to do things to make the team better.
2: That really is what sort of tarnished my relationship with Jerry. He tried to make me feel so special, but yet he was still like willing to trade and do all that stuff, but never would tell me to my face. After you're in the game for a while, you realize that nobody is untradeable, but I felt insulted. I sort of took the attitude of disrespecting him to some degree. There was always barbs going back and forth. But at a certain point, Scotty crossing the line. I mean, it was getting personal. Pippin started abusing Krauss openly, you know, cursing him out on the bus. Couldn't tolerate him anymore. Didn't respect him. I remember some shots coming from the back of the bus. Raise your eyebrows,
0: you know. Pippen started berating Jerry Krause of the team. You know, we had to say, you know, hey, let's hold it down, you know. <laughs> what, well, Eric, when you wake up Phil Jackson from his slumber... Right now you've now you've made a problem. now we- you <laughs> we've been Phil hey hold it down right <laughs> He's trying to easy sleep up there. Scotty easy. Easy, <laughs> when you've got when you've raised the ire of Phil Jackson who barely raised an eyebrow while he coached that's something right there man <laughs> hey hold it down. I'm trying to thought, get a nap here.
1: The thought of berating and cussing out your boss from the back of the bus is wild to me.
0: It's Vince McMahon and Steve Austin.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right, yes. In real life,
0: right? It's it's. But, but Krause put it on himself. But see, this is why the documentary is interesting because which GM says that today in 2020, right? I'm always going to do what I can do to make the team better. Uh, like instead of saying no, we would never try to trade Scotty, He's part of our championship team. He, he just he, he just looked at those guys like an asset, like it, from Jordan all the way down. He was so hell bent to show that he can build rebuild a championship without Jordan, without Pippen, without the key guys, without Phil Jackson. And so that's on Jerry Krause. That's on him. I mean, I mean, it it it's uh, it was an interesting time. Because, after
1: yeah. after the finals in 96 jordan's up in the podium with his finals championship gear on answering questions on if this team's over at like literally half hour after the game ends they're talking about are you guys going to get broken up right now and this is all something they were completely aware of and just had to go through another season with well, i mean that was a it. wild image to me sitting there watching him answer questions about breaking the team up minutes after they just won a final it their was, fifth
0: it was it was a pressing issue, because people want to know if the if the gravy train would continue to roll, and so and and by the way that was a fifty fifty proposition because you didn't know that many of us thought after the fifth championship that it was over, like it was done there until you heard Jerry Krause, uh Jerry Reinsdorf say no no, as long as Jordan here we give us another chance, and Krauss was he wanted to break it up at that point and it did not it did not happen it's. Quite the story of The Last Dance, and we're talking about it brought to you by Coors Light. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000.